Did you know that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day? But don't take my word for it. Well, actually, you should take my word for it. And here's what you need to do. You need to go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach. That's www.ZipRecruiter.com slash Zach to learn more there about recruiting the best people for your business the fastest, best people fast. You know that fast, good, cheap pyramid? Well, this is doing it all. This is fast, good, and yeah, you got to check out the pricing online. Uh, that's kind of above my pay grade, but Zip Recruiter, check it out. Too, too, too many ads. Here we go. The Zach Kuhn Show. Episode 69, and we've got John Marks on the podcast Kind of like the gatekeeper's gatekeeper, if you know what I mean. I actually have no idea what that means. I just made that up. But I think that is a cool term. And John Marks is the guy that is respected by all. If you're a gatekeeper, you probably respect John Marks. And if you're if you're in the industry, John Marks, he's, he might be one of the most recognized names in the Nashville music industry. One of, one of them. Calm down. If you're one of those others, you know, I see you as well. But John is up there high on that list. You know, we've actually been trying to get John on this podcast for a while now. We've never been able to line the schedules up. And I think this is a really exciting time to talk with John because if we know something about John, it is that he is not afraid of a rebirth. Look at how he built an amazing career in terrestrial radio. And then he moved over to SiriusXM, turned that into a powerhouse, did the same thing over at Spotify, and now he's going on a new endeavor, which we get into and talk a little bit about. And we talk about his brand new website, which just launched. If you want to keep up with the music that John is listening to, there is a brilliant playlist that is on this website, a Spotify playlist, and it's big. It's got a lot of music on it. I was actually going through it today because he just sent it to me. And I was really getting into the head of John Marks. I want to know what John's listening to. And this new website, johnmarks.me, has it, has it, has it all. It's got everything. This is, I don't think this needs much more of an introduction. We all know about John. We all know what he's done. This is going to give you a little bit of a deeper dive, a, a look behind the curtain is what we get here with this episode. Here we go. Episode 69, John Marks. Let's dive in. You know, I was thinking about you recently because I was talking with a couple of people who I know knew you as as you were coming on. I was like, okay, John Marks is coming on. I don't think we've ever met before, but I think we have, except for the other night. We met the other night very briefly at the Basement East, but we I don't think we've met beyond that. That's right. So I was talking to a lot of people, and I think the funny thing is, John, do you realize how much your name gets brought up like behind your back? Like everybody brings your name up all the time. <laughs> do you know this? Do you realize this? Uh, uh, I, I don't have, I, I have to confess, I don't have an entire realization of it, but uh, I will say that when it, when it came, you know, when it kind of came to me and hit me in the face was, uh, the, uh, the, the, I emailed John Mark's t-shirts, uh, that, uh, that whiskey jam produced. And I had no idea I was anywhere worth merchandising. I, I they probably lost a ton of dough on it. No, that's, but there's also a little bit of a joke. There's kind of a joke, I think, that like people would would say like, oh, well, what's the plan for your new release? What are you doing? And, and people would say, oh, we're just going to email John Marks or we're just going to call it. That was like, like, this was like a thing. It was almost an excuse for not doing any work a little bit, right? 
which wasn't yeah, I the case. Call that, uh, true on that. I wouldn't call that an entire release plan, but I'll call it at least uh, the beginnings of one. <laughs> the beginnings, the beginnings of a, of a release plan. I'm curious because you know if you go, if you look back at like some of these like some of the early promo days, like I always love the story of these record at these promo men like Casablanca who would sit out in toilets where they knew the promo where they knew the radio programmers would be and they would play music in the stall next to them to try to get them to hear the record what like who what were some crazy things that people did at spotify to get the record in front of you You have to have some crazy stories here right you know i i gotta tell you it's 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 not uh you know people didn't really go to extract we'll say uh you know not so much as spotify because everything was more electronic and a little bit more formal in terms sure, of yeah, yeah. You know, how how we made arrangements to meet but uh xm I, I will say that i i did receive a fair amount of stalking there because uh whether i'm not sure if you know how to get in and out of the office there but you had to go into the uh, Visitors Bureau souvenir store. And then there was a little elevator, a private elevator that would take you up into that cone that's uh, at Bridgestone. That's where the offices are. And so you'd have an elevator to get you into that cone. And so uh, people would, uh, you know, watch me kind of come in and out. And, and I would get uh, stalked from time to time uh as i came in and out of the elevator going up and down in or out of the uh building so uh and i'll call it gentle stalking it wasn't uh, there nobody was threatening me or anything but you know they uh i will say that that was a fairly i'll say a semi-regular occurrence when i when i lived and worked there would they just like wait outside and try to get you their cd or whatever like what would they try to do Yes. Uh, I mean, that was really, I said, uh, they would wait however long. Uh, hell, I didn't even know what time I was leaving or coming or going. Just like, uh, so I can't imagine what, uh, how long they sat, stood around waiting. Uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate their, and, and I, the one thing that I would appreciate about it, even though, you know, of course they didn't have an appointment was at least the fact that they were persistent and they stuck with it and, and they hung around it. And, and even with that, even though it, it I, I won't call it an annoyance. It was kind of like I'm trying to get from point A to point B, uh, but I, I do appreciate their uh, willingness to stick through it. You know, it's uh, and I, I had to at least give it that kind of credence. You know, I, if, if they were going to be waiting around that long, I at least figured I owed them a few minutes of my time and to take their CD and give it a listen. Why? Because <laughs> but it was funny. Because I think people really know you as someone like you will take probably more so than other tastemakers and curators unsolicited music which i feel like is the first thing that everyone says we don't take unsolicited music don't don't even bother sending it because it's not going to get through but you really would accept kind of uns or you would take a cd from someone who was stalking you outside the sirius xm office did you find great music that way why did you take that approach or why 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 do that I, for that very reason, I mean, it's, uh, I'll take the analogy of panning for gold, you know, it's like, you just don't know where the next one, uh, next nugget's going to come from. And, and to close yourself off of any possible lane of discovery, you know, for me, you know, and everybody has their ways or their needs or whatever their routines. I just, you know, I just couldn't resist uh, the next thing and known or unknown uh, was really wherever you came from i don't care if you uh, landed from mars if you have a good song throw it at me man uh, that's that's kind of where i am with it it's uh 
And, and so I was uh, really agnostic about who I met with and where they come from uh, or came from. Uh, I, I just wanted to hear their music. And, and if it wasn't in the, in the lane, try and give them a few thoughts on how they could, you know, get closer in, you know, it's, uh, and, and, you know, at least uh, try to help somebody benefit from a little coaching. And, and so I, I just really, that's kind of a, the, the true heart and soul of what I love doing in, in the music business. And, you know, uh, even Luke Bryan started somewhere, you know, and uh, all these artists had to start, you know, scratching uh, from whatever they were doing. And, and uh, I, I work as best I can to empathize with, uh, with these uh, struggling starting artists and what they're trying to do with massive odds just automatically stacked against them. And I try to try to at least do a modicum uh, of what I can to reduce uh, or increase the odds of them succeeding minimally anyway. So I, I just like, uh, and, and that's really the overriding reason, reason why I really enjoy talking to uh, those individuals because it's, it's the most fun to watch them sprout and grow. Do you think more tastemakers and curators and gatekeepers should take unsolicited material because this is the number one thing that they're always like, we don't take unsolicited material. Are you, are they missing out? Are they potentially missing out on great things that you found otherwise? You know, I think, yes, I think because, you know, you just never know where, where the next one's going to come from either from outside an unsolicited area, or many times I'd sweep through Spotify's uh, pitch tool in, in the back end and just find really cool and interesting music that was not brought from to me uh, uh, from or us uh, in uh, from the usual credible sources and, and circles. And uh, Cameron Marlowe is uh, is an example of that the song giving you up. I was just going through uh, the pitch tool, just listening to music back to back to back and uh, doing my uh, computer routine. And next thing you know, I heard that song kick in and I said, what is this? Uh, and uh, heard it and I said, heck yeah. And uh, literally that week it found its way onto a playlist and, and that was that. Uh, and that's not the only time those things have happened. Uh, and uh, with, uh, with Cameron, it, uh, it came to you know, him getting signed to Sony ultimately and management and all that other stuff. Uh, but I didn't know him from Adam, didn't know his team, if he had a team. Uh, turns out, after the fact, I learned it was him from, I think, South Carolina, if I'm uh, incorrect on his point of origin, I apologize. And, uh, you know, people found their way to him through being playlisted. Uh, and I accidentally met him as he and I were coming and going uh, in a meeting. That's how we came to meet each other well after the fact of that song coming out, it was an accidental thing. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And so uh, I, I just never discount any source material at all for those reasons, because you just never know where it's gonna come from. More often than not, maybe, maybe not, uh, but uh, that maybe does is, uh, is the thing I'm always looking for and never quit. Absolutely. You know, I think like one of the most common fiercely debated topics in the Spotify pitch tool is what do you write in that little paragraph when you have to sell your song and you get like, I think like 600 words, how important was that section? Is that section? And what would you look for? What would, what do you think artists should really try to get across in that section? You know, who you are, uh, what you're about, uh, a little bit of points of origin, 
uh, and uh, just talk about your music and what feels fuels your soul and and heart. You know, it's uh, you know, and I think that's really it. I I, I really didn't take uh, I will say I didn't take a lot of credence in it. I'm not saying it's not important, you know, but it really was truly is about the song. And if you got a good song, the rest comes together. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of so where somebody comes from or what, how long they've been in Nashville and all that stuff is really cool uh, and anecdotal. Uh, but I, I want to hear about, you know, what you what you love about music and what you love about creating and writing. Uh, those are the things I'm interested in. You know, if you're from wherever, uh, it's fine. You know, it's like wherever you're from, that's cool. Uh, but I, I like knowing about what you are and what makes uh, what fuels you for music. And what is, I don't know how much of this is like secret Spotify sauce, but I'm curious. So you go into this pitch tool, you listen to, can't even imagine how many songs, and then right away, a lot. And then right away, do you flag them and you go, okay, this could be good for new boots. Maybe this goes over to Indigo. This is, this sucks. Pass. Let's send this to Wild Country. <laughs> like, is that how you're organizing? And then do you go through everything again and, and shave it down each week from there? How, how does the process work? Uh, I can't speak for anyone. All I can speak uh, is is how I approached it uh, in my former Spotify life. Uh, others may do it entirely differently, but uh, I would use the pitch tool. I, I was uh, fervently against it uh, when it first came out. I was not for it at all. Uh, but as, as time went on and it showed itself uh, to be a viable piece of discovery equipment for me and people like me, uh, I came around to it. So, uh, so I, I need to uh, establish that caveat. Uh, you know, I value, uh, I valued my relationships with music creators in Nashville of all stripes, sizes, and types, and from publishers to producers, whoever was agents, whoever is making music or creating music or in the business of artists and music. And uh, I, I trusted them uh, as reliable sources and direct uh, contact with artists themselves and really thought that to be close to sacrosanct in, in that time. Uh, and, uh, but also, you know, what, what the back end of Spotify did was expand that uh, exponentially to the best and probably not the best because now you went from a, a, a more clustered universe of music to this wide and deep uh, universe that was uh, a bit daunting to try to get through. Uh, but nonetheless, get through it to try. And, and, and what I would do is while I was just doing my computer stuff, I just let it roll through and, and skip the obvious ones that weren't uh, you know meant to be. And, uh, and kind of give the other ones a trial, just depending and, and things like, and where I was looking at, it's kind of like a wall of sound, you know, there, things are generally the same. And how many times have we all heard that same song redone 35, 40, 50, a hundred times, uh, and all that wallpaper just kind of let it wall, uh, roll through. And then you hear something like, uh, you know, Cameron Marlowe giving you up or something Catches. sonically unique, different catches the ears not whacked out of the universe, but still different enough to be. Uh, and, and those are the things that I would kind of flag and, and qualify as potentials. And, and that was kind of the, 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 the base. And then, you know, we, I would get, we would get pitches from the labels and the distributors right, and all those things. And, you know, those would be uh, uh, the, the part of that whole process too. And, and so all that 
traffic coming in and what traffic do you take out to compensate for it? Uh, it was always a, uh, a, a, a an exercise in uh, in Jenga uh, each week and and try how to mix and match the jigsaw puzzle or however you want to call it. It was it was a fun challenge because. You know, I was always emotionally invested in every single song I'd put in. You know, there was a reason for that, that, that I had personally, professionally or whatever, uh, because I like these artists, want to see them do well. But, you know, the problem is uh, it's not to be, you know, uh, not everybody's going to swing and hit it. So you have to make those uh, sad uh, determinations and let people know, sorry, not this week. But, uh, but that was more or less the process in a nutshell. It was a little bit longer than that in terms of waiting through all the music, but, but that's how it worked in general. For an independent art, or let's say an unknown artist that you had never heard of, how important was album artwork? If you had never heard of an artist, but you thought, oh my God, this is a great album cover. I'm going to at least listen to this. Would that get you to listen <laughs> to music? Uh, yeah. Or if yeah, it was really bad, uh, would you just... Uh, What's well, like, you know, I it's uh, it, if it was really bad or really uniquely interesting, I'd, I'd have to give both a little look, you know, <laughs> just because it's uh, it's like if, if you're looking at an accident on the highway, what do you do? You slow down and take a look, you know, if you've if you got something unique and interesting, you slow down and take a look. So, so I think that's uh, if it's the same old, same old. I, I'd say, yeah, okay, seen that, done that. If you're if you're posing next to a pickup truck, wow, you know, where'd that come from? You know, it's like it's uh, there. There are a bunch of them. Uh, so, uh, so I think it's uh, you know, uh, to me, it's still really truly within the song. But sometimes, yeah, if uh, if the title doesn't intrigue you and you don't know the artist and you see something, oh, okay, it's, it's another reason to stop by. I wouldn't call it uh, an overriding uh, primary, but I will say that uh, it would, if it caught my attention, which was uh, rare, uh, but it does happen, uh, that's, that would occur, yes. Okay, so the album artwork is worth something. Put some time into it. It is worth something. Let's yes. go back and for a minute because I'm trying to understand how you got into radio, and I'm trying to follow this path. And I, so you were you were very young, and I've heard the first song that you really fell in love with was "Pretty Woman," right? By um, <laughs> Wow Roy Orbison. You heard this at a jukebox, right? Yes. Uh, you are good on your research, brother. I congratulate you on that. You, you hear this song, you go, "I want to work in music," right? But you couldn't play yeah. guitar. You couldn't play anything. Uh, I, I was just a kid. Uh, I was at the Y, you know, on the weekend shooting basketball, swimming in the pool, you know, doing uh, kids stuff on the weekends. Uh, and and uh, in the gym, you know, there was the the jukebox, and you know, you know, the the the, the drum beat car starts coming in, the guitar, and, and Roy Orbison's voice starts. You know, I say, holy shit, that is music, and I love it. And uh, I want to be a part of it somewhere down the road. It's like that was just had such a massive impact on me uh, just in terms of, wow, you know, what is this and where did it come from? And I love it. And to this day, I am never sick of that song. Uh, and yes, that just had uh, a, a real impact. I, I, I probably I don't know. I wasn't even I wasn't even a teenager yet. I was just really young. And and that just imprinted with me uh, forever. And then, uh, along the way, and then listening to my local radio station and growing up with, uh, with the, you know, crazy DJs that were there, WSAI in Cincinnati, uh, it just inspired me with, it was so freewheeling and top 40 back in the day was experimental. You'd hear Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, 
and everything in between. Uh, it was such an experimental time musically with what truly was top 40. And, and the music at the time was just really cool and emerging. And, and it just really imprinted with me early on. And I've, I've never looked back at wanting to do something in music from that minute. That's absolutely correct. But what was that first job that you got? I think at 16, was it WPFB? Was, was this your local station that had... It had some kind of program, like this entrepreneur program, but I, I don't quite understand what this is, but what happened or what did you get into? Well, brother, uh, you are good. Uh, <laughs> and congratulations on your research. Uh, it was uh, my sophomore, junior year in high school. It was uh, just getting re- able to drive, which uh, was very helpful. Uh, and uh, it, was a, it was a program called Junior Achievement. And Junior Achievement did an assembly, and uh, Junior Achievement was designed to encourage entrepreneurship, business learning skills uh, for uh, kids that were in high school looking to go to college or into business, whatever they wanted to do. Who ran it, or where where, where did Um, it come from? It was a national organization. I don't even know if it still exists. I'd be curious to know, actually. Um, But it was a national organization. They had local chapters, and... You know, everything from the steel mill to, uh, you know, local businesses and the local radio station had a chapter of junior achievement. And uh, I said, well, count me in. Uh, And and so uh, I was lucky enough to get involved in the junior achievement, the, the radio station local chapter and uh, me and uh, I don't know, probably I think it was about 10 other uh, kids uh, of my age were uh, were in this uh, radio company. We called it the Radio Actives, uh, and we were charged uh, with this with adult supervision from the radio station personnel. Of course, uh, it was a small market radio station. Uh, we volunteered. We produced an hour long interview program uh, on a weekly basis. We had to book the uh, we had to book the talent. We had to sell the advertising. We had to create the scripts, create the promos, do all of that stuff under the uh, direction of, uh, of Bob Cordray and Rusty Reed back in the days. I'll never forget them ever. Uh, and uh, and and so for two years we we did that. Uh, my first year, I was salesperson of the year. I got me a little badge. I probably still have it in a box today and a little certificate. Uh, and uh, and after that wound down. Uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, to get hired by WPFB as uh, you know as an employee, which was like oh my god, that was like uh, it was like a kid in a candy store, uh, and it was one of those small uh, market radio stations where you did you know radio, you did the the obituaries, you know they had bluegrass in the morning, top forty at night, uh, gospel uh, and preachers on Sunday. Uh, it was. It was a beautiful experience because I was able to do a little bit of everything during that time and and learn a lot of little things that uh, still hold me uh, in good stead today. And then how did you start climbing the ranks? Because your first half of your career was in radio. So then you, you went to college, I'm assuming. And then would you just you would jumped all over the country to you were in San Diego. Where, like how you just kept climbing the ranks, basically. Yeah, I uh, I worked at uh, ended up at WPFB for you know it was probably the you know uh, my last year of high school went to community college in my hometown so another couple of years 
and I wasn't full time, but I might as well have been. I, I just I spent my summers there. You know, I was old enough to where they leave me uh, alone, un uh, unsupervised, which was probably not the most advised thing I would have done, but uh, they did. And uh, and I just worked my summers, weekends, holidays, uh, just soaking it all in. Uh, and uh, and then uh, I went away to school at Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, in 1974, uh, and uh, and began working uh, in the Ohio University system. Studied broadcasting and business. Uh, worked at the Ohio University properties and and worked uh, for uh, for weekend uh, party money in Parkersburg, West Virginia, right up the road in several locations and, and did that for uh, probably close to three years. I went, to, I graduated, got my Bachelor of Science uh, and then uh, went partway to my master's degree because I love the uh, school cocoon, uh, but, uh, but decided to uh, uh, kind of jettison that when I started seeing uh, friends and uh, colleagues of mine start getting uh, good jobs in commercial radio. So I thought I better get out and start getting busy and get out of the cocoon. And did anyone ever say to you when you're coming up, you, you know, you're studying broadcasting, does your family ever say, okay, this radio thing is cool, but when are you going to get a real job or were people supportive of it? Uh, you know, I, I think uh, my parents probably tried to talk me out of it in, in any number of ways, but they saw there was none of that going to happen. And I think they, they, I'll say that they resigned themselves to that probability. And if I came home, they would welcome me with open arms. Uh, but, uh, but I think to the, to the, the very day that they uh, passed from this earth, I don't think they really had a capacity and an understanding of exactly what I did to earn a living. You know, <laughs> and it was like, I'd take them into the radio stations. I'd take them and they'd be, Okay, so still, how do you make money doing this, and how are you making your rent? Uh, and so it, and and so it was, uh, it was. Uh, I was really never uh, happier than when I didn't have to ever ask for mom and dad for money to to pad my rent or whatever I needed to do. And I think they were con continually mystified uh, almost to the end about why that was. <laughs> and I took a little kind of perverse joy in that, in a weird way. Yeah. That's how, wait, so you were in radio for how, how long? Like three? Gosh, you just measure me, measure me from uh, 16 years old. If you want to count that as a piece of it up to uh, 2010, when I left San Diego to join Sirius XM. Right. So when you left a long time, when you left terrestrial radio, you said you felt that it was losing its mission to serve its local community. What, what does that mean? What, what did that mean at the time? Well, you, you you just look where it is today, and it itself uh, answers the question. You know, all you got to do is just look at it from a peripheral level. And the consolidation and and uh, and I was uh, lucky enough to be one or two steps ahead of the law, sometimes half a step behind, and I'd get the boot and get back in. But uh, but you know, really and truly, yeah. In in the Clear Channel days, you know, I was there uh, in where it was live and local. Uh, and got out just ahead of all the con uh, the the voice tracking and consolidation and, and all of that, and uh, you know I went to uh, uh, KSON in my final job when they were still owned by Jefferson Pilot, then Lincoln Financial, 
And at the end of my run there, you know, it was going to be inevitable. This, this is going down too, you know, not because it's, it, it's, it, it was sad, but just really you got to face reality and where the, where the business and the industry was headed. And I just knew it wasn't uh, much longer for this. And so uh, intentionally I was getting out of radio. And so that's kind of the end of the road. And my wife and I were literally packing boxes to uh, go back to Utah, her hometown. We had, a, she had a house there. So we were going to go just hang out for a little bit, uh, see what's next and uh, a chance encounter with, uh, and I, I love her to this very minute to this day for uh, running into her, uh, Jessica Wade. I don't even know if she's still there at Sirius XM. But she and I met and uh, got along famously. And she said, hey, uh, there's uh, there's this job you may want to talk to uh, somebody about at Sirius XM. And I said, oh, OK. A and I was consigned to getting out of out of radio, out of broadcast radio. But then she was telling me and, and I hadn't really familiarized myself with satellite entirely. But she said, yeah, there's there's 15 channels of country music of every different kind and style. And and uh, and I just got sick of working this one narrow lane of music. I could do it in my sleep. It was Groundhog Day and I was bored silly of it. And uh, and so I just couldn't really see another way back or out or in or whatever. Uh, and that Pandora's oh, box. It's, yeah, and, and now. You know, I said, whoa, there may be another way in here because it's not just this one thing. It's a whole bunch of different things that I haven't been able, muscles I haven't been able to exercise, including Southern gospel and bluegrass and uh, Christian music and all these other areas where uh, I had, I'll say, a working background, not intimate knowledge, uh, in addition to country music, old and new and, uh, you know, side shoot, tangential uh, subgenres and all the rest. And so that had a high degree of appeal. And uh, I went through the process, uh, made the contacts and, and uh, you know, we were still packing because we were still leaving and going somewhere. And instead of Utah, it ended up being Nashville in 2010 and uh, haven't looked back from it since. And uh, it's, it's Providence intervened in, uh, in a very grand way. And I, I thank Jessica for uh, tipping, me, uh, tipping me off. Do you think, because there are programmers all over the country that in theory could have taken that job, which was probably the sexiest programming job at the time. Did they, do you think that you just had, they sensed this passion and this, you know, this great, you know, desire to do right by the artists and to give everyone a shot. And did they sense that in you? Why do you think they gave you the shot to do this? I think, it, it, I, and I don't know for sure. All I can do is extrapolate uh, I, and knowing some of the people they were talked to in it, I, I think, I was able to exhibit a, a wider and deeper background in, in the form, not just today's country music, but you know, I, I had worked with Southern gospel. I had worked with Christian. I had worked with bluegrass and I dealt with it even in tangential ways. And I think that helped edge me into the job. Uh, and, and the, the thing of it is, is it really, it was not sexy. It was not good looking at the time. You, you got to remember uh, at uh, nobody at, wanted at, to be part that of it. time. Nobody wanted to be part of it. You know, Nashville hated Sirius XM, quite frankly. I was greeted with, uh, I wasn't greeted with hostility. Sirius XM was. Uh, and uh, at the time, you know, they had just merged with Sirius and XM. Their stock was uh, below a dollar. They were in danger of getting delisted. And, and they were in a lot of trouble. And, uh, and 
kind of how I approach it is, hell, we were going to Utah anyway, you know, and if we, if, if, if something happens, we'll just go back. No big deal. Uh, and it was a, it was a low risk, high reward opportunity that, Hey, whatever. It's like, we were going to Utah and we can always go back. It's not a big thing. And it's worth a try, you know, because if, if this is, if this is uh, cool and interesting and still involved in music, uh, I want to give it the go. And, and, and it uh, turned around, the business prospects turned around. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I, it just turned into a, that's when it turned into the gig of a lifetime, as they say, you know, it's like after all that turned around, it was a couple of years to get that done, but it, it turned into that for sure. This is kind of, it's sort of become your bread and butter of like, go to Sirius XM, nobody wants Sirius XM. And then you turn it into this national, you know, thing. You did the same thing at Spotify where nobody was into, you know, country was not into Spotify and you sort of, of now it's like so obvious, but was that, is that something that you had to deal with? Cause you came in as an outsider, Nashville, maybe in a cliche way, doesn't like outsiders. They like to hang with the little boys club or whatever, you know, they like to hang with the, with the, with Nashvillians. You came as a total outsider yeah. with a product that nobody wanted. And how, how are you, how'd you win everyone over? Cause now you're John Marks, but who are you at the time? Uh. Well, I think that, you know, and, uh, and, and I will say I was, I was, I, I, I wasn't treated, I, I guess I was a bit of an outsider, a local radio guy coming in to tell Nashville what to do, uh, you know, and I, I, but that was never articulated to me directly. Uh, but I, I'm sure there was some of that that was, uh, you know, some, I'll call it healthy skepticism, you know, it's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, I just think that, I came in and say, Hey, look, you know, uh, and I wasn't greeted with hostility in any way, but they were not shy about telling me how they felt about Sirius XM. And so they weren't aiming it at me. They were aiming it at it. And I said, well, maybe, you know, we can find ways to turn that around. And, uh, and I think, uh, some of the, some of that resulted in probably a lack of representation or whatever that was in the beginning of which I wasn't entirely aware of. And some of it with the, with the merger and all the other things that swirled around all that. And, uh, and so, uh, so I was just saying, all I want to do is help you and help the artists and help, help move music forward. And, uh, and hopefully we can find ways to do that. And, uh, and that's more or less how I approached that. I wasn't saying, Hey, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's just, let's just bend, mend fences and let's see what we can do to work together and, and approached it in a, in a step-by-step fashion. And, and it and nothing uh, nothing is uh, in Nashville uh, breeds desire more than uh, get, getting lucky and having a success or two, and the next thing you know, uh, here we go. And uh, and so you you, you kind of over time you, you just kind of build it and uh, and you know repair relationships and get that going and you know get people understanding that you know if. If we're going to do something and we tell you we're going to do it, you do it. Just simple things like that. Not to say that Sirius XM was ever dishonest in the past. All I'm saying is like, here are the things that we'll do and here we'll make it happen. And, and slowly but surely uh, built, a, uh, built the credibility back. Do you think, some, you know, something that I'm very curious about is, for example, like one of the first artists that you broke on Sirius XM, Florida Georgia Line, and you were having meetings with them and they were, if I'm not mistaken, completely unsigned. And because everyone was maybe writing off Sirius XM, did that leave a window for for Georgia Lines team to come in and pitch their music for you? And to, and to, like, my question is, if you're a developing artist, 
do you want to kind of find these rising platforms and these rising things and build relationships with them because they're going to be able to take a shot on you? I think you did the same thing with Austin Burke very early on and completely yes. blew him up with his streaming at Spotify. Were those moments able to happen because it was new technology? It was a new platform. The rest of the industry was not really looking at it and then a young artist could come in and capitalize on it. Well, I think that uh, the one thing uh, among many uh, at SiriusXM helped me delineate, you know, uh, the differences that that could be created in in a musical impact in a in a local scenario where your world is San Diego, your world is Salt Lake City, uh, and the world is the United States and Canada at SiriusXM, and the difference a song could make in impacting in a larger scale was just massively different. And, uh, and you know, Florida Georgia Line, although uh, no one can uh, disagree that that was the, you know, grand slam from hell for, uh, for everyone uh, involved. But, you know, it's like, it started, it's like just experimenting, uh, you know, with, and, and I, I give all the kudos to uh, the people in New York, Steve Blatter, we said, look, you got to widen your scope, take some chances on music and uh, and and get out of the FM mentality. Uh, and I said, OK, done. Uh, and that's all I needed. Uh, and uh, in the very first thing I tried uh, it was her name is C.J. LaRose and her song was called The Porch. I'm still it's uh, on. I'm sure it's on Spotify somewhere. And uh, we did a thing where, where she did some blogging at CMA Music Fest, and we were able to do some uh, video and audio things with that song. And we were able to track that we got new subscribers. We were able to track the sales on her song. And, and that kind of started helping me, you know, open my eyes, turn the light switch on about what can be done to affect uh, the outcome of a song if you properly apply it in the airplay and you do other things uh, around it. Uh, and uh, uh, the other one was Dance and Shoes by Green River Ordinance. Uh, right. A friend of mine turned me on to that song. We were Texas drinking. Act. Texas Act uh, and Matt Jenkins uh, working with uh, Smack, uh, Smack Songs as a publisher right in publishing right now. Uh, and uh, he, uh, they, uh, dance and shoes. I had no idea at the time. It was a three-year-old song. Uh, I, I listened to it from my friend and said, Hey, this is a country song. I think this could be something, uh, and, uh, played it, uh, and, uh, hits one, picked it up, turned it into some, uh, a, a pop thing. And it turned out to be uh, a really strong song. I can't remember the figures on it at the time. Uh, and that, that was the first real world example of, Hey, you know, you get a song that reacts and really responds, something cool is going to happen. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, uh, FGL cruise, but it was not because uh, I don't think it was because of a new technology or a new thing. I think that I was just on the hunt for new music and new artists and different things that could respond in some way. And, uh, and uh, I'd be lying if I told you that me or anyone else in the room identified Cruz as a record-breaking, genre-altering song that it would be. That was not the case. I think it was between uh, that and uh, Get Your Shine On. And, uh, and we, just, we just collectively decided, hey, you know, because Cruz starts off right from the get-go, I think that's probably a better way to start. And then maybe we'll follow up with Shine On. And sure. 
uh, and we were all good. And next thing you know, uh, there it went. Do you take credit for what I guess people would call the bro country sound? Because that was really one of the first bro country hits. It might not have happened if you didn't. Is I think you could take a little credit here for really changing the genre in a big way. Uh, well, I I think uh, I'll take some of the blame uh, <laughs> for sure. It's like, and that's fine. Uh, but I think that, uh, and I've said this before, and it's really true. I was like, I, I, I did not do it. You know, Florida Georgia Line did it. Uh, the audience did it. You know, I, I was a, a vehicle for exposure that permitted it where others would not. And for that, I'll say yes. You know, for for the audience reaction, I couldn't engineer that, you know, uh, for Florida Georgia lines being in position for success because, you know, they were prepared, they were ready, and they were able to capitalize and build on that, where if somebody else may have been in position, they, they may have missed it entirely. So, you know, uh, they deserve all the credit for being primed and ready. The audience reacted appropriately. It was a, it was a moment in time where the, uh, where the audience uh, and the music was needing to change. Uh, and if you think back in the time, it was very sleepy, adult, contemporary, medium, down tempo. And that was a cold uh, dump of Gatorade right over the top of your head. And uh, the rest kind of changed. And, uh, and so I think uh, I'll, I'll, take a little, uh, I'll take a little responsibility for that being the vehicle or introducing the virus. I don't know. Well, okay, then maybe so. But uh, so I'll take it. The right like elements it. came together <laughs> at, at the by total, uh, I'll say, accident and you know, fortuitous timing. Absolutely right. I want to be sure we have time to talk about a couple other things. But while we're on the subject, I mean, you're kind of bringing this up that it was a little sleepier, I guess is the word you use. And then we had this bro country movement. Then we kind of had this boyfriend country movement, big 90s country movement. Yes. Kind of interesting to think about where we are right now. What do you think is the next sound going to be? What, can, can you tell or do you think we're ready for a cosmic well, change again? I think it's already here. I think uh, you, you look at Breland and uh, Keith Urban and uh, that's it. Uh, I think that, uh, and I've been you know, a fan of that for some time. I mean, even, even in some elements of bro country and there are some earlier developing artists uh, in there whose name I can't recall uh, who, who are kind of dabbling in that. Uh, who are kind of dabbling in bro country and a little bit of hip hop because that was kind of FGL's beginning modus operandi, right. really. Uh, they were uh, they kind of introduced it with uh, you know with a couple of songs, and uh, and I think it's finally kind of reached a a, a, a point of about time. Uh, and and you look at uh, in in all of that, you know, I've, I've supported it along the way, even though it was kind of wacky and way left of center and and probably knew it wasn't going to research but you know it's it's there there are lots of points of intersection between hip-hop and country that people just don't realize and understand and and i think that it's beginning to be uh, self-realized and i think for all of its betterment uh and i think that uh yeah you look at that willie jones and breland and you know, uh, other ones there's rashad who's coming up and uh, I, you know, there are so many of those elements right now that I think infuse in a natural way. It, it, it challenges the sonics, which I think country music always requires. Uh, and, and I think that's really, to me, is, is where the next phase is. And I think, you know, in the pop area, I think it's kind of more, you know, it needs, it's less pop, big production and big, you know, sounds. It's more 
uh, contemplative uh, and sincere. I won't call it serious, but more sincere and heartfelt. And, and if you can find that both in country and the pop country areas, I think that's kind of where that needs to be right now. And it kind of continues uh, to fuse and confuse uh, in what is and isn't pop or country these days. And I love that. I love those areas of gray. Love that. Okay. So wait, so now you get pulled into Spotify. We're jumping ahead and everyone, and everyone who gets hired at Spotify goes to Sweden for like a week or two weeks. Right. And you do this and I'm assuming like you meet Daniel Eck. What happens on this trip? Is this like sworn secrecy ritual, like robes and cloaks and things? Like what happens when you go over to Sweden and what do you learn about the company? Like, do you get, do you, does the ethos of the company get explained to you and the mission and like, what's the takeaway from this trip? If I, if I talk too freely, my chip hasn't totally deactivated yet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just I'm teasing. Uh, you know, it's like uh, the, back in the time that I joined Spotify, uh, the onboarding, there, there was minimal onboarding. And, uh, and so, uh, basically I got my laptop and said, you know, good luck. And we're all counting on you. And that was about the beginning and end of it. Uh, I did go to Sweden twice and both it were, it was for parties. So it's, <laughs> it was, uh, and we got some functioning done as well, uh, as a group. Uh, but, uh, you know, I went uh, there to Stockholm for, uh, their 10th anniversary, uh, uh outing. Uh, and uh, it was, and I would say it was a party, but it was serious too. It was, uh, it wasn't all uh, a, a drunken festival, but it's like, uh, but it was in, in celebratory of, of what they were doing as an organization and, you know, as a, as a new one too. Uh, and, and it was a small enough culture where you could really bond uh, where, where today it's a little tougher because everything is so disparate and COVID didn't help matters, but it's not entirely COVID related. You just have uh, this massive worldwide structure that's uh, that's really difficult to, I would imagine, keep together and run. I don't envy whoever needs to keep track of all that stuff. Uh, but uh, it was uh, instructional. We would have seminars. Uh, we would have, here's what this department does and here's what that department does. Uh, because a lot of things, uh, you know, while it, 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 it strives to be a flat organization, there were still some silos that you had to kind of get through and over and around. Uh, to be able to get things done. So it was more of, uh, or less instructions of here's who this is and here's who you need to talk to. Uh, and in order to get projects done, you had to stitch these things together because organizationally, there wasn't an automatic flow to how where you'd go for this and where you go for that. Uh, SiriusXM had a, an order for that. And, and so there was some elements of comfort, even though you could complain about the inefficiencies of it. You know, but uh, but it, uh, there was a great inefficiency there because if you had a project in mind, you had to get buy-in, and I think it's still somewhat the case today, uh, where you have to get buy-in from these disparate departments uh, to get, bring these coalitions and these tribes together to be able to see a project through. Uh, it's nothing wrong with that. It's just kind of how they get things done and and test the viability of a product or the willingness of the individuals to follow through. Right, right, right. How come? You know, I'm curious how you sometimes you see these artists on streaming platforms, and this isn't always the case, but sometimes you see these artists who get like 100 million streams or whatever it is. And you on paper, you look at their streaming profiles, they seem massive, but they might have a hard time selling tickets on the road, or maybe they can't even sign a label deal. Was this something that you would see? Why does this happen? 
And as an artist, if you're getting these streams, let's say you can't, you're having a hard time selling tickets or getting that label deal. How do you think, what advice would you give to artists to sort of power through that or try to make everything come together? Well, I think that, and even um, in my days at Spotify, I would say, uh, and this is the truth, you know, it's like every day I'm talking my way out of a job, you know, and uh, it was somewhat prophetic uh, and, you know, but real. And, and I think that uh, the, the obsession with uh, playlisting and artists is about the same obsession it is as it is with getting on a radio station and getting on the charts. And, and I would, you know, work as I could to counsel them that it's a, it's a, it's a straight peak up and it's a straight peak down. And, uh, and I, and it's uh, just like with anything that you have to do as an artist uh, and the tactics are changing and evolving today uh, and it's ever evolving and changing, but the, the, the first and foremost thing that you need to do is build your foundational elements of who you are as an artist. Uh, who are you as an artist? Where are your social medias? Where are all of those things in relationship to your music? How are you supporting that with friends, fans, and cohorts to, to build a feedback loop when it comes to your music? That's even before you start releasing a song. And then, okay, maybe you release a song and you build a release strategy on all of that. And, and I think that you know, playlisting is and is like radio. It's it's kind of a byproduct of all of that stuff. Now, uh, when people would say you get all these streams, and, and and I would say, look, you know, it's like you know, labels look at it, uh, producers look at it, and if they would look at a Spotify for artists page, and you would see two percent from the artist profile, three percent from algorithms, eighty five percent editorial support, they just look at it and say, oh, John Marks likes that song, that's cool, uh, and it wouldn't get further acknowledged, not because my word isn't good, it's just simply you know, that's a good start, but what kind of other support is the artist or the song garnering from that exposure? And if it's nothing, then, you know, uh, it, it just shows that the song isn't reacting in the other sectors or the artist isn't supporting it in an effective way to generate that reaction. Absolutely. Okay. We are running out of time. I have so many questions here. The, you know, the number one question in Google, when you type in John Marks, is why did John Marks leave Spotify? I don't know what we can talk about here. This is the number one thing that comes up when you say John Marks. Look, this is a very personal thing. I don't know what we can say, but I'm going to throw it out there because I think everybody wants to know. Uh, first and foremost, we are still friends. Uh, if you hear the lawnmower in the background, I apologize. Uh, the the uh, the thing is, is like Spotify was uh, in the process and it wasn't a surprise to me in changing their curation strategy. Uh, their curation strategy, I saw it happening across uh, the genres. And, you know, I, I was not surprised to see when, when some of those elemental changes were coming to the country music space. Uh, and uh, we had an adult discussion about it, uh, was offered an opportunity to uh, continue on with that. And uh, we, we spoke as adults and were able to part as friends. And, and I think that's, you know, in a, and, and that is a unicorn in today's world. And uh, I am forever thankful for that. And uh, I was uh, just at a function uh, last week with, you know, we all got out. I don't know if that's a Spotify, you know, thing is like, but we all saw each other in 3D and we hadn't seen each other since COVID. And so 
It was a good reunion. We had a great time. We're all friends. Uh, everything is good. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, uh, all is well there. And uh, the whys were that they are changing their methodology. The methodology wasn't something that I was really tuned in with. Uh, and, uh, and I think that the opportunity that uh, I've been provided by exiting Spotify, you know, has opened up a whole lot of thoughts, opportunities, and things that I would not have been able to, uh, to explore had I continued with Spotify. All the conflict of interest things and things that intrigued me on, on the outside uh, are now I'm able to discuss freely with. And, and, and that's uh, an opportunity that I'll, uh, I'll appreciate Spotify for allowing me to experience. And, and, uh, and I'll be friends with them. And I'm sure we'll be collaborating on hopefully some projects down the road along with other streaming services because uh, now uh, I'll be one of those who gets to be Sweden and uh, be impartial and, uh, and hopefully help artists navigate uh, all of those, uh, all of those different platforms in addition to Spotify. And I saw that I saw this moment the last week when you ran to someone, I saw this person's face light up to see you at Spotify. And then I was talking with a friend of mine at Spotify yesterday. And I said, by the way, I'm gonna be talking to John tomorrow, which I asked him and he said, Oh, we love John. Everybody loves, loves John Marks over at Spotify. I think they might miss you over there. I, I don't know, but okay. This is, this is true. The second uh, thing that pops up on Google, when you type in John Marks, the second response is what is John Marks doing next? everybody's typing this into Google. Everybody wants to know. Let me ask you this. What areas in audio excite you right now? Or where do you think there's great opportunity? Or what's the next big thing do you think going to be in, in the audio world? Well, Zach, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I am, uh, I've explored a lot of different things. Uh, what uh, fuels my heart uh, is working with music creators, large and small, uh, different uh, in all capacities. Uh, I don't care what genre, I don't uh, gender, I don't care what color, I don't care if you're from Mars or, or Pluto or wherever. Uh, I just love working with hardworking people who want to make uh, something of themselves doing music. And, and I want to join those hardworking people and finding ways to get that done. Uh, simple as that. And, uh, and it goes with uh, artists who are still viable, who maybe aren't viable in FM radio today, like, uh, let's call them uh, legacy artists. I don't like that word because that, you know, but, but I think you, you look at it, legacy artists who aren't uh, a part of the radio landscape anymore, are minimally a part of the streaming landscape, but maybe we can find ways to uh, translate audiences and build, uh, build their streaming numbers, uh, bring their audience in. Uh, and you know they're still making music, they're still touring, they're still doing current things, and why not you know find ways to help them uh, find a way in, into that, especially as you're looking at an interest in 90s country and uh, catalog music uh, continue to be strong. Uh, so all of those things are fueling my interest. I want to be continuing on the cutting edge of music. I want to be, it's like where I was like, I'll say Spotify permitted the ground floor. I'd like to find a way to get down to the basement uh, floor and start really uh, even, you know, in, in the more beginning stages and, and find uh, that kind of element. So those are my thoughts and dreams. And that's what I'd like to see have happen. Uh, I've been uh, laying some preparatory work on all of that. Uh, and filing paperwork, doing all the legal crap and uh, the tax crap uh, and all that stuff. And then 
Uh, I'm uh, getting ready to, and I will say uh, for shameless plug, you know, I've got a, a website that will be uh, getting active, I think, uh, uh, as of this recording in the next day or two. I'll pass it along to you, and uh, it, it's called, it's just johnmarks.me, uh, J-O-H-N-M-A-R-K-S.me. Uh, it will uh, include some of those fundamentals that I've already described and uh, a Spotify playlist of what I'm kind of hearing in country that's yes. catching my attention, you know, and uh, is this Go going please. to be kind of like a blog space or what can we expect from this website? Uh, I, I'm going to not much. Uh, I'll have the, <laughs> uh, at this stage, I'm just being honest. Uh, it's like, it's that. And, and basically a splash page of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm basically, I, I hate the word consulting, but I'll use it just as an explanatory thing. And it may grow into all some of these other things right now, just to keep it simple splash page. Uh, I, I, I want to let it be known that I'm looking to do some business and, and some of these independent and contracting areas, contracting areas uh, of those things that I've described. Uh, and uh, there will be a, an email outreach info at uh, johnmarks.me. You know, that'll be directly to me and I'll answer it personally. And, uh, and I, I want to get into that kind of, uh, of enterprise with artists and uh, we'll see where it carries me. I've never been an entrepreneur in my life. It's, uh, it's the most exhilarating and scary thing I've ever done. I've had lots of encouragement from friends, colleagues, and allies, uh, and uh, that kind of pushes me forward, even though I'm saying, no, I don't think so. I don't think I'm up for it, but you know, it's something I want to try. It's an adventure, just kind of like having worked into Spotify and worked into SiriusXM, and I'm looking forward to uh, you know, not just giving it a try. That sounds too casual, but diving into it. Uh, and learning the ups and downs and uh, and figuring some of that stuff out along the way as I go. This is very exciting. I'm also curious, are you interested in the video game space at all? Do you and Steve Schnur ever talk about curating playlists and things like that? Uh, I think, uh, you know, we'll sidebar on that. And uh, I am, uh, that is one of the things that I don't know that uh, I know is critically important. Uh, I was never involved in that in Spotify because, it, you know, it was never a high degree of interest in country music. But, uh, but I think now might be the time and uh, uh, just uh, gratuitously, I'd appreciate an intro. Absolutely. John, <laughs> this has been such a pleasure um, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for making this happen. And I think everybody has their eye on you because if there's something that you've proven, you've been able to reinvent yourself. You turn SiriusXM into a thing. You turn Spotify into a thing. And I think eyes are on you and everybody's very excited to see what you do next. I know it's going to be big things. So stay tuned. Stay tuned, and, audience. And thank you for that uh, credit. It, uh, it, it isn't all me, but thank you for saying so. And I appreciate your kind thoughts and words. And, and if artists want to look at somebody on how to contemplate a, 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 an artist situation without the, uh, without the playlisting, uh, please uh, look at David Morris. You know, he's an example, a textbook example of how to do it with minimal editorial support. I, I wanna leave artists and, and creators with that just as a point of research. And thank you, Zach, it was a pleasure to spend the time with you and thank you for your interest. And uh, and I appreciate that very much. And thank you for letting me be here. Have we left anything out in our final moments? Have we left anything out here? <laughs> I, I think we've uh, covered most of it. I. I and I wanted to bring him in uh, because of, of the playlisting and lack of it and how do you do it. 
and uh, and you know that's uh, that'll be a large part of uh, what I discuss in futures. But I think that yes, it's uh, that I think that's really the primary element. Just think about how you're going to do it without playlisting, and let playlisting be a part of that build as it gets to you. Fantastic, John. I want to thank you again, and I will talk to you soon. There you have it, episode 69 with John Marks. First of all, you have to check out this new website, johnmarks.me. For the playlist alone, you need to go to the website and check out John Marks' playlist. There's over 300 songs on this playlist of some of John's favorite picks. And I'm, I'm serious, I was going through this today and just loving what he's putting on this playlist and a lot of stuff that you probably have heard, a lot of stuff that you probably haven't, and you're gonna be glad that you checked this out. The other thing, you know, my other big takeaway was don't be afraid to take unsolicited material. I think we often don't take unsolicited material in the industry, and John Marks is the guy who says, well, hold up a second, because if you're panning for gold, you know, you never know where you're gonna find that next thing. So unsolicited material don't be afraid to take it i mean that was a great episode how how great was that having john marks on the podcast and by the way i'm very excited to see what john marks does next because i think it's going to be big and i i would not bet against john marks that's my tip of the day don't bet against john marks here we go the zach kuhn show is mixed by sam Heyman, and our theme music is by justin johnson if you want more content from us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at NashvilleBriefing.com or you can follow us on socials, everything at Nashville Briefing. The Zach Kuhn Show is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, and we are proud to be part of it. And look, thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being here. We're going to see you next week. Bye.